Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Um, so working with nonprofits is pretty much, you know what people need to be fed at. Yeah, we take some of our produce and put it in the stores, but there's also some families that can't get these this produce year-round. Hello and welcome to episode 58 of the Farm Traveler podcast. Our guest today is Mike Jackson of Kentucky Greens, located in Louisville, Kentucky. So, you know, one problem right now is, you know, COVID-19 going on. We're still quarantined and kind of related to that. I'll be honest, I'm kind of in my own bubble, which we probably all are. We don't really know what's impacting one community, what's kind of hurting them and stuff like that. And so this interview with Mike is super informative because he's going to talk about some issues going on right now in lower income communities and how, and you know, most of the time they don't really have a grocery store. They have convenience stores, AKA corner stores and how, you know, if you're driving through a low income neighborhood and you stop by a corner store, you know, they have chips, soda, processed stuff they don't have fresh fruit and so for or fresh vegetables or fresh anything really so for low-income families that go to these corner stores to buy produce for their family they don't have much to choose from and so it's something i never really knew was an issue but luckily mike brought it to my attention and it's something he's trying to fight which is so neat to hear about and so he also has you know kentucky greens his business which grows using my favorite method of all, hydroponics. He grows microgreens, salads, and a bunch of other produce to supply for people around the Louisville area. So this is a great conversation with Mike Jackson. It's really neat to hear about kind of what he's doing to impact his community and the change, kind of the situation that families have found themselves in. So hope you learn a lot in this episode about kind of other struggles that people are going through and maybe this will kind of inform you and hopefully 
I know I'm going to try to do some more stuff and try to figure out how I can have some sort of impact on this. So anyway, hope you enjoy it. This is episode 58 with Mike Jackson of Kentucky Greens. All right. Well, Mike Jackson with Kentucky Greens. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good, sir. How about stuff? I'm doing well. I'm excited to talk with you. I love hydroponics. I love learning more about little hydroponic companies going on. So tell us a little bit about yourself and about Kentucky Greens and kind of how it all got started. Well, we got started probably late 2016 uh, with the intention of just joining uh, certain farmers markets around Louisville. Um, there wasn't a lot of younger black entrepreneurs in the farming space. Uh, all of us came from farming. So we decided to let's start growing vegetables. Uh, but we then scaled down with straight to microgreens, lettuce, collards, and kale because um, we all worked full-time jobs. Um, over the years, I've probably been the lead one other person that stayed on with Kentucky Greens, um, continuing to push that forward. You know, as, as everybody knows, is trying to actually create a different source of income. Uh, I worked for utility companies full-time. Uh, it was pretty much just getting back into growing food and becoming an entrepreneur and creating a stream of income. Right. No, that's not bad. I like that. So what exactly are microgreens? I feel like in the past couple of years, they've kind of exploded in terms of like popularity. So what exactly are microgreens? Microgreens are more for garnishes, uh, but lately you see people use them as uh, toppings to their sandwiches. Me personally, I don't like that um, iceberg lettuce taste. So microgreens give a little bit more flavor to your dishes and they have loaded with vitamins which is perfect for snacks for kids snacks for yourself juicing um just think of baby vegetables right before they get to the uh seedling stage transplant stage right yeah my wife and i've been trying to cook with them a little bit more we make like these lettuce wraps with um with steak and lettuce and carrots we put little microgreens on it and it it adds like a little pop to them like they're really good you wouldn't think they would be because they're so small but they do add like a really good kick to whatever food you might be cooking. Right, a strong flavor. Now, and they're also not to be mistaken with sprouts. I think a lot of people get them mistaken with sprouts. Um, sprouts are like, you know, when you're doing microgreens, the first two days, you want to keep them in a dark area, so they do sprout. And then that's when people would harvest those and sell those as sprouts. Um, microgreens actually get to almost about 14 days of maturity, and then you harvest depending on what you're, what you're growing, like beets, cilantro, um, a couple of radishes, they take a couple of days, but like kale, broccoli, um, chard, all that takes about 14 days, mustard. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So let's talk about your production method. So you guys use hydroponics, is that correct? Yes, sir. So walk us through like your whole method, how you kind of got started with hydroponics and Kentucky Greens, and kind of what that, what your system looks like. Because I know hydroponics are super diverse, or you can have any number of systems. So what are your systems like? Pretty much just think of a four by eight bed, but six of those in one row. So we have four rows, four by eight bed, and we grow mainly on one half, we grow mainly kale and collards. On the second half, we grow lettuce. It's just pretty much like an aerator uh, at the bottom of the bed. And we go to Lowe's and we get the four by eight insulation sheets. And we take a circular saw, not circular saw, but a hose saw, and just cut holes into them, uh, three inch hose. And we put our little pie uh, using coconut core. 
Okay, yeah. So why exactly do y'all use coconut core? I've heard a lot of people use that and it's like a very particular item that you can use in hydroponic systems. I feel like it's safer when you use okay. the soil. Uh, when you use the soil, you take the chance of a lot of diseases. If you're not monitoring your uh, system, um, coconut core is also, it holds moisture better. Uh, it doesn't mold like regular soil would. Um, and it actually doesn't break apart like soil would inside of the systems. So we're constantly cleaning out to your, um, your filter. Um, and also they don't, they don't, it doesn't mess with the pH uh, levels that much. Okay. Yeah. And, and pH level, I, I've experimented a little bit with the hydroponics at my house and I know the pH levels are super important. If you don't pay attention to it, your plants will certainly die. Yeah, they'll die or they won't even grow. Um, have you ever heard of the NPK method? No, what's the NPK method? NPK is pretty much like the nitrogen, your phosphorus, and the potassium. Pretty much like the 10-10-10 fertilizers you buy loves. Think of that in a smaller scale. So you want to be able to monitor um, how much nitrogen is going into the system, potassium, and also uh, phosphorus. That's the main key thing with uh like worm teeth. If you buy worm teeth from a hydroponic store, they have those three numbers on the bag or even in the solution. Um, so when you buy a pH tester, those are the three things that are also on that pH tester. So depending on what crop you're growing, you have to be able to uh, make sure the fertilizer that's going into water is right at that right level to where it's not uh, making your lettuce go to seed quickly or causing your collard greens to uh, not grow in size. Right, gotcha. Okay, so yeah. um, talk about your systems. Why do leafy greens work really well in growing with hydroponic systems? I heard one of our guests a few months ago was kind of talking about hydroponic or plants grown in hydroponics work really well if most of the plant has like a very high amount of edible biomass, so most of the plant is edible. So is that why leafy greens work really well in hydroponic systems? Never heard that. Uh, it, it works different for everybody. Oh, yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. um, hydroponic system for us and Dutch buckets work for us because, we, you know, in the beginning, we all worked full-time jobs. We mm -hmm. couldn't be out there early in the morning tilling. We couldn't be out there uh, making sure our irrigation system or even keeping thieves away from our plots taking our stuff. So uh, we, a local nonprofit actually had a greenhouse in here in Louisville that wasn't utilizing we went in there and actually grew, built the boxes real quick and grew the crops. I don't really, I can't really answer that question. Yeah, no, that's fine. I know there's so much that goes into hydroponics and it's always different and always, yeah. it's, it's, it takes a lot of research before you can get to be very successful on it. So good on you guys. In terms of your operation, do you, do you categorize yourself as organic or as conventional? Where do you kind of fall along those lines? I would say conventional. You can't say organic. Right now, the USDA still isn't allowing people that grow hydroponically to consider themselves uh, organic. Okay, okay, um, I didn't know that. Okay. Is, yeah, it's, it's, it's right now they're not allowing you to put on your products um, locally sourced organic. It still has to say hydroponically grown, or you might see other companies say responsibly grown. Um, you can't actually fully put hydroponically grown. Uh, I don't know the full reason why, <laughs> but. Yeah, we have to call ourselves um, a conventional way of growing. Okay, and and is that probably because y'all are using like synthetic fertilizers, kind of to go to help fertilize your plants, or what might be a reason you think that it might only be categorized as conventional for right now? 
I think that the chemicals play a lot into it because you don't want somebody cooking up a a batch of warm tea and adding other things uh, to boost these, you know, like the nitrogen content and they're poisoning people long term. That would have a lot to do with it. Also, a lot of people are finessing the system, per se, mm-hmm. to where they're doing it like how your, your your uncle used to do when he's trying to grow marijuana. So you are adding those different fertilizers in the system. Right. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. The whole organic versus conventional thing, there's a lot that goes into it, especially when it comes to like being able to put organic on your, on your label. When we've been emailing back and forth, you work with two nonprofits. So what are those nonprofits and what's the whole goal about you guys working together? Children Shouldn't Hunger. Uh, the goal is to pretty much help. Children Shouldn't Hunger is ran by Leo Braddock. Um, pretty much what they do is they monitor a community garden in Shelby Park here in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, we joined forces with them to actually pretty much help grow what they were growing inside of these raised beds and actually help with the landscaping and teaching of growing fruit. Um, Agony City is starting farmers markets in African American communities around the world. Um, the whole end game for working with both of those is actually to create this system where it's not just Kentucky Greens. We have other people here in Kentucky that uh, raise chickens. Uh, to lay eggs and feed their neighbors and themselves. Um, we have one guy here alone who grows nothing but Swiss chard year-round, carrots, uh, Swiss chard and carrots. Um, so working with nonprofits is pretty much, you know what people need to be fed at. Yeah, we take some of our produce and put it in the stores, but there's also some families that can't get these this produce year-round, or say like you could if you went to Whole Foods. Whole Foods really aren't in our neighborhoods. Another reason is I'm actually working on a corner store initiative to where we have a three, at least three corner stores, half a mile radius, to give you an example of how local. And none of these locations sell any produce. Now, a, a for-profit company can't go into uh, a policy meeting and change this by himself. So I work with a lot of these nonprofits that are actually feeding people, clothing people, and actually giving them uh, different tools to survive to actually help change these policies. Uh, I would like to see a lot of local churches and other nonprofits start these corner stores so that we can actually source this produce to the corner stores where your family's actually already going to buy cereals, milks, cleaning supplies, and it's at a high dollar. (laughs) They pretty much raise the price because a lot of these families don't have the cars, transportation, or anything to get to these Kroger's, Whole Foods, Rainbow Blossom, anything like that. I would really like to see these corner stores being utilized the proper way to actually feed our family. Gotcha. What kind of success have you guys seen with that? I mean, has it gotten really popular and it's starting to affect a lot of people? What kind of success have you guys seen? Not much success on the corner store side. Not much success on the corner store side um, because it's still something that we're trying to prove that can be done. And also finding somebody that, to help run the corner stores. On the farmer's market side, we've done pretty well. Uh, Agonist City, we set up on Amy Street here in Louisville, Kentucky, in a shining neighborhood. And I mean, from the first day, which was raining, uh, we pretty much sold out each time, each vendor. But as far as helping change the policy on food, not so much yet. Okay, so what do you think needs to happen for, for there to be like a really big change on the policy of food? Education. Education? Um, so, okay. Showing people education in 
showing that there's a need. Right now, I'm also on the board for the Louisville Grocery Co-op, where a co-op pretty much member-owned. I would really like to see the co-op own these. I want to see somebody own these, these corner stores. A mm-hmm. lot of times, um, education is one thing. This just narrow down that, that answer. It's education. It, it needs to be that show people what people are actually putting in their, their I had one lady, and I'm not turning very off, but I had one lady tell me on her low dollar paycheck to paycheck that she can feed her family and so should these other people. And my response to her was, but what are you feeding your family? I said, well, how much of the produce or, or groceries that you're buying throughout the week is produce? How much of it is actually not processed already? And her answer was, well, a lot of it's processed already. And she also said, everything's processed now. That you and me know that's not true. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, so I think at corner stores, they should be basic needs stores. You don't have to sell produce seven days a week, but at least three times a week for people to actually to say, I know on Saturday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I can go and buy produce to feed my family and actually make meals to stretch would be more beneficial to me than going to the, a dollar store, uh, save a lot or a corner store and buying groceries and the food, one doesn't last very long. Uh, it's high with, loaded with sugar. It's loaded with calories. Um, it's affecting our kids, uh, how they focus in school. There's a whole range of things. So I think it's gonna take more than just the food space people to be speaking on it. It needs to be the health, uh, it needs to be the educators, and it needs to be even somebody in the financial standpoint that can say, you know, a lot of my families that live in this area of town, um, when it comes to banking, they have zero, zero dollars in a bank account because they're not managing their money right. Or they have to go all over their side of town just to buy what they need to buy. Gotcha. Yeah, it sounds like um, kind of everybody needs to kind of play their part in it. Yeah. Creating a system is, is, is going to be a key. So do you think like maybe having like some live cooking demonstrations at those corner stores might be a good idea where they can like see how simple it is to have like a home cooked meal from just simple produce at that, that, that they can pick up from those stores? The corner stores have to come first. Right now there aren't any corner stores that I've walked into and talked to mm-hmm. willing to change their business model. Um, I think it's not just here in Kentucky. I think it's nationwide. Uh, bodegas and corner stores don't really, they they think they're basically in store because I have a laundry detergent and I have soap and I have uh, cereal and milk uh, for them. But if you look at their forecast and what they're actually selling, if they have a forecast, what they're actually selling on the shelf, um, say seven days a week, it's mostly tobacco products, alcohol, and lottery tickets. Um, that's what they're making most of their money off of. And the stuff that is being sold as food um, is pretty much going to waste. And they're not, I'll challenge anybody that's listening to go into their uh, urban neighborhood right now, go to a corner store you know, or a dollar store and see when that uh, canned good is going to expire. And then go to Kroger's, pick up that same canned good, and when is it going to expire? The one that you're buying at a corner store compared to what you're buying at a Kroger's is going to expire quicker than what you're buying at Kroger's. So that should be an issue like that. And it's the same product. Dang, why is that? Why is the one in the in the corner store going to expire a lot sooner? I mean, is it just they're getting secondhand items or what's the problem there, do you think? Secondhand items and 
a lot of people will catch the bus just to go grocery shopping. Um, and right now we still have one grocery store that's on West Broadway. Um, a lot of people shop at that store. A lot of people still shop, shop at uh, the farmer's markets that are starting to pop up. Um, or they're going into Save a Lot or Dollar General. But if you look at the older people, people that have kids, there needs to be some type of survey to see what they're eating. I don't, I don't really have an answer of why that's their food is inspired. I know they're not actually trying to keep it. It's just really much a filler on the shelf, honestly. Right, yeah. That's, that's very interesting, though. I'm going to have to try that out because I've not heard that before, but I'm very interested to try that out to look at the expiration yeah, I, dates. I encourage anybody to do that. I mean, and then, and then actually look at that store and then look at the neighborhood when you walk outside and just think to yourself, how could this neighborhood benefit off of this corner store rather than going two miles outside of their area to go to this grocery store that might, yeah, it's better for them, but how often do you really have a chance to go to that grocery store? Or like you said, cooking demonstration. It, it sounds like it's not just a matter of convenience. It's, I mean, it's, they don't have enough time to go two miles to a better grocery store. They can just go to the family dollar or the corner store that doesn't have the best produce for them available. That's very interesting. Right. Especially what's going on right now. Oh yeah. Uh, looking at what's going on with, with the COVID-19, just thinking of people that have lost their jobs and already living pay to pay, paycheck to paycheck. Um, what was on the on the shopping list already? So I mean, I think these are it, it, right now. It's not just me. I will have to bring on other people for me to speak to, um, especially with children shit of hunger and what we've already figured out. Um, but it has to be a system with a bunch of people to say, okay, these are the policies we need to change. If you're going to be a corner store, you can't have um, the word grocery on your corner store if you're not selling anything that's grocery. I, things of that nature. I mean, it's a whole range of issues. Yeah, no, it sounds like it. I, I've never really kind of paid attention to that, but that is very interesting. It sounds like it's kind of set up where, like, it's set up to survive instead of thriving because, like, you have the grocery and it's not selling anything grocery related. So that's very, very interesting. Yeah. And to go back to one of your original questions about how Kentucky Greens get started, it wasn't just for the farmer's markets. It was also for the corner stores. But most of the issues that we were running into, when you go to these corner stores and you ask them, hey, we would like to put packaged salads on your shelf. We'd like to bring in kale, collards, stuff that we can produce um, weeks at a time consistently. The answers are always the same. We don't have a room. We don't have room for it, or that will expire too quickly, or they won't buy it. Things of that nature. And then I've even offered to say, "Hey, we'll buy the small fridge. We'll put our own branding on it, and we'll stock that shelf." But nobody would bite on that. So working with nonprofits is going to be how what do we get the fridges so we're not coming too much out of pocket? Um, helping spread the word with low-income families that they already need. Um, it is also being an, an example of. Uh, what a small agriculture company can be doing for these neighborhoods. So if you produce uh, eggs, your eggs can be going to the store. If you're a small dairy farmer um, outside of the Kentucky area, Louisville area, um, could just be somewhere that you can bring your milk to. Baby food, you can go, the list can go on and on. Um, as a food producer, what could you do for these small stores? Yeah, no, it sounds like that could be a key area where a lot of these farms could kind of focus on to, I mean, not only provide like fresh produce, but also focus on an area that doesn't get a lot of attention. So that sounds like a win-win. 
Yeah, it, it definitely, especially especially when you look at it like um, how many grocery stores closed in these areas. They come and go. And how long the corner stores have been in these areas. Corner stores aren't closing. So if you change the business model around them and the right people are owning these corner stores and actually care about the neighborhood or actually from the neighborhood, don't just have a business in the neighborhood and they leave at nighttime. Um, those are the things that you want to, that I would like to say. And it's not a white and black thing. Because I say this all the time, there's a lot of white kids. I'm from New Brand, uh, which is a small, it's known as an agricultural community before, you know, this modern day came. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of white kids in a different trailer park a few blocks over. And my mom always said, you can't take yourself out of position to put somebody else in. So it's, it's definitely not a white and black thing. It's, it's, it's would benefit anybody that's in this area that shops at this store that has to buy this store. Um, or it's, it's, you're making it more convenient for them. Okay, if I get off work at 7 o'clock, I have to now drive to Kroger's and shop, wait in line, or I could be going over to this corner store that sells produce three days a week. So now we just have to make sure we're properly buying the produce and educating people on what they should be buying for their size family, whether it's single family, multi-family, elderly, um, single mom that's pretty much fresh out of high school, anything like that. You have to be able to think of all aspects of all life and benefit those people. Even the person who might be a banker that's not even from the neighborhood, how could it benefit his life? You know, I'm going to Chase Bank to work nine to five, but instead of my wife having to drive the Kroger's with my kids, I can now shop out of this corner store, which is a better environment than it was. Wishful thinking, I'll say that. <laughs> Wishful thinking. Well, I, it sounds like you guys are definitely making a dent and planning to make a dent and kind of stopping this issue from, from happening. So going along those lines, like what are your plans? What are the future plans for Kentucky to Green to kind of grow and scale up in the future? Um, continuing to hit these stores, like as the bodegas are, uh, we have a Logan Street Mart. I don't if you're on Instagram, you look that up in Louisville. Uh, it has multiple vendors. They have a small bodega. There's a, also Megan Bell who has next door grocery that's going to be coming up. Working with these entrepreneurs to make sure that they have the produce they need to fill their shelves. Because as we work with these entrepreneurs, what I was just talking about with the corner store, that eventually will happen. Three years to five years down the road. People will actually see an uh, interest of becoming entrepreneurs and actually benefiting their neighborhood. Um, we would like to work with Farm to School. That's actually probably going to be the next step in the next year or two. Finding um, a charter school and actually seeing how we can benefit those families whose kids are going to this charter school. Right now, we don't have a Farm to School program. And like what's going on in today's world with COVID 19, uh, we see a, there's, there is a need for. Okay. Now, do you know if any of those schools like around you might have like ag education programs or no? No, I was in FFA in high school. Okay. Instead of the high school, um, it was probably one out of the two FFA programs in Jefferson County. Um, but we learned more about livestock. We didn't really learn about uh, growing vegetables, growing food, the distribution side of it. Um, we learned just the, the basic Here's what you're going to learn when you go to a um, livestock show. Right, right. Okay. Those are a lot of lessons. Um, a lot of the county schools outside of Jefferson County and Louisville, their FFA programs are flourishing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would be nice. Like West End School actually has reached out to us to talk about bringing in a uh, FFA program. 
Um, so I know they're in the works of doing it. Well, that's awesome. Well, the more the merrier, because yeah, I was in it in high school as well. And I mean, it, it provides kids with so many learning opportunities and they can see where their food comes from. And plus they can take that education home and tell their parents about it and they can tell more people. So it's, it's a win-win for everybody involved. That's really neat. Yeah. Especially scholarships. Oh um, yeah. Yes. Or, yeah. Countless scholarships. Absolutely. Yeah. The agriculture needs more and more people right now. If you look at some stuff, those article by civil foods, they put out probably two months ago and they spoke on a lot of people that are going into agriculture now mm-hmm. um, are only focused on the tech side instead of the conventional side. Um, so nobody's really producing food. They're just learning how to uh, distribute food and the uh, certain uh, laws around food. Right. Yeah. I, I think I saw something a few weeks ago that like the average farmer, the average age of a farmer is like 65 or something because nobody is going into production agriculture. It's just kind of the older people or people just inheriting a farm. Like nobody is starting like a new farm or a new operation. They, like you said, they're just going into the tech side of things. And that's, that's the sad part. The little scary part. <laughs> so, oh yeah. Definitely know, kind of both. Yeah. Yeah. And I know a lot of people are in doing what we're doing on a larger scale. Um, like App Harvest, those guys are very genuine. Uh, Ramel Smooth and his business partner uh, with App Harvest are going to be building this huge greenhouse in Moorhead, Kentucky. Um, they've already started putting containers, uh, hydroponic systems at schools. Um, those guys are, are really on to something. They're actually spreading the love. They're not just uh, about themselves. And that's something that you would like to see around the world. Oh, absolutely. That's awesome. That's really good to hear. So who who has really helped you with Kentucky Greens to kind of build the program, get word out, and kind of help you kind of focus in on what you want to do? Who has really helped you get to where you are right now? Partnerships. Um, and Leo Braddock with Finish It the Hunger. Um, I think being consistent has helped me a lot as well. Um, if the store tells me they need something, I'll make sure I consistently have it. I also put in play a program to say, you know, if you tell me what, what you're looking for as far as cherry tomatoes and microgreens, um, we, just, we just stick to a plan. We stick to a consistent plan that delivers. As far as people, um, I think a lot of word of mouth, our, our current customers, they're always putting people in our direction. That's good. I like that. That's good. Well, Mike, this has been awesome, learning about Kentucky Greens and learning about a lot of these issues that I didn't know even happened. I, I, I know I definitely need to get out there more and kind of see what's actually going on in our community everywhere. So if people want to learn more about you guys, where can they go? Where can they find you to kind of follow Kentucky Greens and keep up to date with what you're doing? They can go to Kentucky Greens, L-O-U, that's Kentucky spelled out, Greens spelled out with an S, and L-O-U is in Louisville. Um, on Instagram, Kentucky Greens on Facebook, um, and soon we'll be releasing our website for people to buy packages. You can also find our product at Logan Street Mart. Um, we have a few international stores across Louisville, PMP, they carry our products. Um, and soon we're looking to branch out into Rainbow Blossom. Well, yeah, we follow you on Facebook. Love seeing all your good stuff that's going on. Uh, man, we wish you the best of luck. We will have to touch base with you in a couple of months or about a year and see how you're doing and making sure that you're growing and we can help get word out. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was a great little interview. Thank you, Star.
through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night, floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest. Me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.